This morning's text comes from 1 Kings 19, verses 9 through 18. And you can find that on page 254 of the Green Bibles that are on each side of the stage or in the back. Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit. Come with the power of a great wind to clear out the cobwebs of our hearts. Or come stealthily, as close as our own breathing, to whisper Your truth into the silence of our lives. However You come, come with the power to change us that we might truly become the body of Christ in the world. Amen. First Kings 19, verse 9 through 18. Listen now for the word of the Lord. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? Uh, he answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind and earthquake... But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meloha, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed Him. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. No justice, no peace. If you listen closely, you can hear it. It comes in intermittently like the radio through the mountains of British Columbia. It pulses just beneath the weeping 
and the laments of mothers and of fathers, of the brothers and sisters of the community of Ferguson, Missouri. No justice, no peace are the rumblings of the crowd. From where you stand, it might be hard to make it out. That's probably because heartbreak causes a person's voice to quiver. It's like their words have lost the foundation on which they stand. Things seem backwards. The old aren't supposed to mourn the loss of the young. Peaceful protesters prophetically stand shoulder to shoulder from the early afternoon into the evening. They're gathered there to remember the life of Mike Brown and far too many black young men. This was the time to start a grassroots movement that would finally face systemic injustice and institutionalized racism head on. The blood of these young men would be like water. Water that would nourish the seeds of justice that would soon provide yields of shalom. As the candlelight vigil began to wrap up, more and more police show up. You could hear the whispers of the children throughout the, cr- the crowd. Mom, why do they have shields? Dad, why do they look like army men? These innocent whispers are quickly hijacked by something a little less holy. Throughout the course of the evening, loud bangs echo up and down the streets of Ferguson. The smell of tear gas takes a walk with the wind. It's hard to tell where the smoke from the fires ends and where the smoke from the tear gas begins. Both, though, wreak havoc on the town. Underneath the yelling from both sides, underneath the the smashing windows and the firing of rubber bullets, between the sounds of sirens and the shouts of the loudspeakers, you can just make it out like a pulse. No justice. No peace. It's the lament hymn of the crowds. It's the lament hymn of all of creation. It's the lament hymn of the Holy Spirit. There's a movement in the stillness. At about this time, Elijah is probably wishing he hadn't made it past chapter 18. Back then, things were looking pretty great. Just a few months before this, it seemed like Elijah was on top of the world. He was flying high after his god, Yahweh, won a cosmic competition against Baal, the all-too-often absent god of fertility. Elijah is a prophet. He's the one tasked with speaking on behalf of God. As you might imagine, prophets aren't the most popular people in the public eye. Like last week, uh, we saw Elijah had some pretty tough words for the ancient nation of Israel who were standing on a fence post between the fields of Yahweh and the fields of Baal. Soon after God sent down fire from heaven, Elijah found himself fleeing for his own life. Right on the heels of his 40-day journey, Elijah starts his ascension up Mount Horeb, a mountain where God showed up before. Horeb also has another name, Mount Sinai. 
He's probably remembering the stories of Moses receiving the Ten Commandments and where God showed up to Moses in a burning bush. He stumbles into a cave on the west side of Horeb and decides that he's going to take up shelter for the evening. He needs some rest because tomorrow, tomorrow he's going to summit that historic peak of God. Elijah gathers whatever is soft around him to rig up a fitting bed for his evening all alone. He closes his eyes to find rest. It's eerily quiet on the mountain of God, especially when you're all alone and uninvited. The first few beams of sunlight fill up the cave. Along with that warmth, Elijah is met with the question, what are you doing here? You see, God is usually the one who summons people to His mountain. God hasn't called Elijah to Horeb. Elijah took it upon himself to pay God a visit at the one place that he thought that he could find Him. Elijah pleads his case. God, You know how much I love You. You know how much I revere You. But You showed showed up with fire from the heavens back at Mount Carmel And they've forgotten all about it. And after that, they even killed every other prophet that was speaking on your behalf. I'm the last one. And now there's a bounty for my head. Let's remember, this isn't part of Elijah's job description. He's a prophet. He speaks on behalf of God. But here on this mountain... He's speaking directly to God. Maybe Elijah's remembering the glories of yesteryear when everything was going great and it felt as if God was right by his side through everything. Maybe Elijah's missing that. He's making one last trip to his employer to relinquish his title and to put in his two-week notice. We tend to talk a lot about mountaintop experiences, experiences where God shows up in an unmistakable way in our lives. God shows up at conferences or concerts. God shows up in revival tents and youth camps. These are kind of equivalents to uh, Elijah's story on Mount Carmel back a chapter before. God shows up in all of His glory He sends down fire from heaven, and we pitch our tents right there in the midst of that warmth. I grew up in a Pentecostal church in the foothills of Appalachia. The church was part of the oldest Pentecostal denomination and one of the largest in the entire world. My parents still worship there, and many of my friends are still members. And if there's one thing that Pentecostals have mastered, it's youth camp. For seven days and six nights in the Laurel Highlands of Pennsylvania, God was right there. God was there as a dozen different languages filled the air. God was there as the worship band vamped on the bridge of the worship song, Give Us Clean Hands. We would belt it all out in unison. Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks Your face. Oh God of Jacob. But like I said, 
It was only seven days and six nights. Just like that, the camp was over. Of course, we made promises to ourselves, to our youth leaders, and to God that we would take the steps necessary not to experience the valley after the mountaintop experience. I would covenant to read my Bible more, to to only listen to worship music when I was riding the school bus, and to act more like the coolest 20-something camp counselor that was at camp. Anything to keep me from that dreaded valley experience. And sure enough, a three-hour ride back home, and I was met with the reality, the reality that they had warned us about the valley, where for all that I knew, God was non-existent. There wasn't a worship band or an altar call every night. Instead, I had to mow the lawn, help my grandfather cut firewood, and make it to baseball practice on time. For us, God only operated at the higher altitudes of mountaintop experiences. I came off my Mount Carmel experience just like Elijah. I I witnessed the fire from heaven come down at that church camp. But we had to leave that place of warmth. It was time for us to receive our benediction and our blessing to return to the valleys of everyday life where silence reigns supreme. Yahweh, the creator of the very mountain that Elijah was standing on, calls Elijah out. Then there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. Wind more powerful than most machines rips down off the north face of Mount Horeb. Elijah is kept safe while he looks uh, down to his right. The very rocks that he had walked up the day before were reduced to gravel. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind and earthquake, an earthquake Without skipping a beat, the earth moaned and it cracked beneath the mountain of God. Elijah could feel the shifting ground beneath his feet. He looked back at the bed that he had crafted the evening before, and it was unrecognizable. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, gray smoke billowed and was rushing down the mountain with the trailing winds of uh, the, the trailing wind gusts. Elijah remembered the smell of the burnt offering at Mount Carmel. He wished it was that same smell. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. Or maybe it was a gentle whisper. Or perhaps a a gentle blowing. Maybe it was a, a low whisper. Or my favorite, a low hum. You could pick 15 different translations of the Bible and none of them could really, really do it justice. You could make your pick between any of the translations. It doesn't really matter because each one of them can exist on mountains or in valleys. Sometimes these sounds are just underneath other sounds. And other times these sounds come to the forefront in the quiet. 
whether it's a low hum or a total absence of sound, God was there. After all of these awesome and chaotic events, wind, earthquakes, fire, there was a divine quiet. God showed up at Carmel with the fire from heavens. And God was there at Mount Horeb with the unmistakable sound of His presence. It was this quiet that brought Elijah to his knees sometime after his most popular story. It's in the silence after all of these awesome works that Elijah experiences the presence of God in a more intimate way. Here at at Horeb, God comforts Elijah with His ever-present sounds. Yahweh is is the God of both mountains, of course. Carmel, where Elijah has a so-called mountaintop experience, and at Horeb, where Elijah has the so-called valley experience. And and here at Horeb, it, it wasn't just about sitting there in worship. God was also giving Elijah his prophetic instruction to help reestablish God's rule over the ancient Hebrew people. God calls Elijah back to his role as a prophet. On the heels of silence comes mission. God blesses the future leaders through Elijah to bring judgment and justice to the whole of the Hebrew people. God instructs Elijah to leave the mountain and go back to the dreaded, now not so dreaded, valley experiences with the promise that God is with him. We find grace in this, that that our God is faithful. He's not only a God of mountaintop experiences, but a God of so-called valley experiences as well. Yes, those weeks at church camp back in junior high were, were certainly powerful. Those moments shaped and formed my identity as a disciple of, of Christ Jesus. I have no doubt that the, that the Holy Spirit was there in our midst. What I didn't realize, though, was that God was inviting me in His work away from that camp in Pennsylvania. While God was working and moving in our midst that week, God was also working and moving all around me when I returned home. Instead of the lights, the fog machines, and the uh, electric guitars of the worship service, God was there in the quietness of my daily chores. This can be the case too in, in, in church. God doesn't just show up here at Christ Community Church for one hour every Sunday. God is there in the constant hum Monday through Saturday, calling us to be disciples of His Son and our Savior, Christ Jesus, in our families, in our relationships, and in all of our interactions. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, church is a place where we are formed and shaped by God in the sounds and in the silences so that we might go out and serve God's mission as we receive our benediction and our blessing. In this story, God is reminding us that He is the constant underneath all things. 
during the most glorious of circumstances and the most unholy of events, the sound of God is reminding us that He is right there in the midst of it. Our God is not a God bound by frameworks of a worship service. Our God is one working in our everyday lives. Our God is God of both sounds and silence. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please sit in silence with me.